0: Don McPherson, CEO of 12 Geniuses and a self-described polymath in training, just completely blows my mind in this episode. His focus is really on how do we think about the way the world is changing? What, what, What trends, what's happening, what's coming at us from the future right now? And so he spends a lot of time thinking about it. He does a podcast called 12 Geniuses as well. And really looking at how life and work is changing. But for our conversation, one of the things that he he hit me with was, how would you live your life now if you knew you were likely to live to 120? Now, think about that. If you're 50 now, that's another 70 years. That's a lifetime on top of the lifetime we've already lived. And that just completely changes the, the approach. It, it, for me, anyway, it, it really does. And how maybe I, I think about things. You know, if, if you're just trying to get through the next uh, 1, 5, 10, maybe even 20 years, that's different than how are you going to excel in the next seven years? So thinking about that, how can you prevent the world from passing by? Even if you're not planning on going to 120, even if you're just trying to get through today, tomorrow, next year, how can you prevent the world from passing you by? What skills can you learn right now to stay relevant in your 50s and your 60s and beyond? Are you choosing to be happy? He poses a great question in here that, really, are you going to have a good day or a great day? You know, there is no third option. So, so what's it going to be? And I just love that question here. You know, not only are you choosing to be happy, but he also talks about how he has gone about and learned to quickly create connections with people he's just met, even when they're from a really, really different background. Wow, there's just so much going on here, packed into this episode. So I encourage you to listen to it. Listen to listen to all of it because we do cover a lot of topics. And I would ask you to to share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with people that you think would really benefit from hearing about Don's approach. And, and also check out his epi- his uh, podcast, Twelve Geniuses. Anyway, uh, let's make it a great day. And it is time to get started. All right, well, welcome to Midlife Mastery. Of course, this is Brock Edwards. My guest today is Don McPherson. Don, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thanks, Brock. I'm 52 years old. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have two children. Uh, My oldest daughter turned five on Monday and my younger daughter is about two and a half. I'm involved in four different organizations, CEO of a company called 12 Geniuses. I'm the executive director of an organization called Think to Perform Research Institute. I am on the board of uh, the Inner City Ducks in Minneapolis, and I'm a co-founder of that organization as well. And the fourth organization, I'm a board member of Harmony Foundation in Estes Park, Colorado, which uh, Harmony is a drug and alcohol treatment facility. And I've become very, very good friends with the CEO, actually Through his recovery journey, he lived with me for about eight years in a duplex that I rented out. I was on one half, he was on the other half. So those are the four organizations that I'm involved with. But definitely because of their age and because it's amazing, my children are first and my family definitely first.
0: So, I always thought I waited a little while to have kids. We, we didn't have our daughter until I was 30, 31. Um, you beat me there. I mean, you, you managed to hold out a little bit longer, and they're great ages. Those are fantastic ages. So, c- congratulations there. Yeah. I, and I love that you, you put them first and foremost there and kind of the, both the introduction and the wrap up to your introduction. Well, you stay busy. Like, I mean, as you go through this list, you know CEO, director, involved in, in on boards of organizations, they're not all local and so you know you pick some that are thousand miles away from you.
1: So how do you stay on top of it all? It, it isn't that busy to be honest with you, and none of it is work. I have the very fortunate pleasure I guess, of doing all of the things that I love. And so I don't really consider any of it to be work. And it's very fulfilling. Every aspect of it is very fulfilling. So it sounds like a lot, but it's fairly easy to manage. I have good people who work with me and we can get a lot done, but it's not overwhelming. It's not as overwhelming as it seems. What does suffer from time to time is the social life outside of the family, but we're one year into a pandemic, so... You know, I think that suffered for everybody. And when the time comes, you know, I I hope to pick up some of those relationships that have been put on pause over the last year.
0: Yeah, you know, um, yeah, uh, you know, yes, we've all experienced that. Now, I have noticed that uh, my relationship with my family is better now because of it. So, you know, there, for me anyway, there there has been an upside. I got to spend uh, a little more time with with my kids and and my wife and. So that part of it's been nice. But yes, I, I agree that the, the social aspect from outside of my house has definitely suffered. So before we started recording, we we're talking a little bit about purpose. And, and clearly, you've organized things in a certain way in your life, uh, just, just by, you know, the the organizations you mentioned you're you're involved in. And I don't, you know, people don't join boards by accident. There, there's usually a connection to a, to a deeper meaning for them because it is a lot of work. And it You know, it's an addition to everything else that's going on. So, you know, a lot of people look for purpose and a lot of us from early on have been looking for purpose or told that we have to find a purpose. And um, tell me a little bit about yours.
1: My purpose became very clear to me within the last year or two. And it is simply to help people reach their full human potential. Everything that I do, whether it's working with my daughters or raising my daughters and trying to be a good teacher for them and be a good role model for them, is helping them to reach their full human potential. The work that I do with the inner city ducks, we have about 140 kids who are playing football and basketball. They're from North Minneapolis, which is one of the more challenged neighborhoods in Minneapolis. Um, A lot of single moms raising children and economic hardship, but we're teaching them leadership skills and we're helping them get exposed to travel and different parts of of the country. We've taken them to Chicago and Kansas City and Indianapolis and helping to open their eyes and and help them reach their potential. The work with the Harmony Foundation, drug and alcohol addiction is a huge barrier to people reaching their performance potential or, or just their human potential. And then with 12 Geniuses, I'm exploring trends that are shaping the way we live and work. And I have a great fear that people our age uh, are going to be passed by from technology and from some of these social and 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 technological advances. And so I'm trying to help people understand what these trends are and how you can take advantage of them. And then finally, with Think to Perform Research Institute, we fund leadership research, PhD candidates who are exploring moral, purposeful, and emotionally intelligent leadership. So we fund that, and then we give it away for free. So we're creating a program that is going to teach future leaders. These would be juniors seniors in high school and freshmen and sophomores in college how to be moral leaders how to be emotionally intelligent how to be purposeful leaders so all of these things came together just within the last year or two and i a light bulb came off and i was like well, that this is what my life the the second half as you call it of my life is going to be dedicated to is is helping people be the best that they can be whether that's you know at work or at home as a member of the community or, or a social club or whatever it is.
0: So I, I know no, no, I, we're not using video. So everyone listening to this, you're just hearing the audio. I know you could hear it in the audio, Don, you like just totally lit up when you were talking about all that. I mean, clearly it is not work for you. It, it is, um, much, much more of a, a passion. And how, so how did you discover that? Like, how did you know that? Yes, that is my purpose.
1: I didn't really know. I had been I been mentoring for a long time, about 28 years ago, I think uh, 1993, I, I decided that I, I wasn't getting a great fulfillment from my corporate job. I'll just put it that way. And so I knew that I needed to find, uh, find some purpose or find some meaning or, or be excited outside of work. And so I just volunteered at the Hennepin County Juvenile Detention Center. So this is a place where some pretty hardcore kids are locked up until their trial happens and I I got matched with a kid named Teddy he was 17 and he was a really really tough gangster and for whatever reason we clicked we couldn't have been more different Hmm. but he would say that he loved me and I would say that I loved him And when he got sentenced, he went away for eight years uh, as he was tried as an adult and he went away for eight years. And we stayed in touch. And I actually went to visit him in Kansas City when he got out. But the question was, the question I asked myself is, what would have happened to him had we met earlier? He had never had a positive male role model in his life. And so then I became a big brother and I was a big brother for about 20 years. And that's when I met my little brother, Shaquille. Shaquille will be 27 next week. And we've been together since he was nine. And we, we decided that we wanted to start the Inner City Ducks two years ago. And we had 13 kids. It was gonna be a traveling football team and it was gonna be from the neighborhood. Well, we've blown up to 140. So all of these things kind of just became building blocks to this recognition of the purpose. And then I had been involved in, in software and HR and helping people become more engaged at work and, and create engaging workplaces. And so the building blocks that I had created over the first, you know, 20 or 30 years of my career just all intersected to create this purpose that I just was realizing over the last couple of years. And I just decided that the next 30 years are going to be spent doing this. And if I'm working past 80, maybe it's 30 years and beyond.
0: You know, it it almost sounds like it snuck up on you. Like, um, you know, rather than having this purpose and going out and saying, "Okay, I'm going to put this piece together and this piece together and all this fits in. It, it it sounds like it, it came about the other way. Like there's this thing you're interested in and that kind of fed into another thing that you're interested in and that fed into a skill set that you had already developed. And then it's like, you're looking around one day and go, yeah, this is it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And to be honest with you, I got involved in business and this might sound really shallow, but I got involved in business to be wealthy. And when I say wealthy, it's not, you know, I, I don't mean to, have, have to have the nicest car or whatever, but I grew up very humbly, and I knew that I didn't want to live my life that way. And so I was very motivated by money and and security, the security that money would bring. And then I did reach some financial security, and I realized, well, that's not a good purpose. <laughs> you know that that's not going to drive meaning and happiness and fulfillment. So. There had to be something else. And it turns out that there was a byproduct to working hard. And that was learning some skills and being able to connect with people who are different than me and and you know, teach them about happiness and teach them about leadership. And that was incredibly fulfilling for me.
0: Well, I'm curious that connection. So you you are connecting with with um people from totally different backgrounds. And I mean, you mentioned you you clicked and yet it would have been so easy to have been rejected as not being able to understand, you know. what I guess, what's your approach? I mean, connecting with people can be challenging enough. Connecting with people who were in a totally different set of circumstances, um, almost, you know, polar opposite to you, that's a little tougher.
1: It requires practice. It does. You don't. You, you don't become an expert at this immediately. And I had had a lot of practice. I had lived overseas a couple of times in my twenties. I studied overseas in Denmark, and I had traveled all over, all over Europe. And then uh, I lived in Germany a couple of years out of college. And so you, you know, and I was on my own. So you just develop these skills, and. It, it requires a little bit of courage to approach people who are different than you, but it's fun too. It's like a little puzzle. How can we connect? What's going to be the connection point and whether it's somebody who is, you know, from a very different socioeconomic background or a different race or doesn't speak the language you can still connect with people and, but it just requires practice and a little bit of persistence and you have to be, pretty skilled at building trust pretty quickly, depending on the circumstances. But I would say those experiences living overseas, without a doubt, have, have really helped me in this way.
0: All right. So, you know, it everything we do puts us in place for everything that's to come. And so you, you had made kind of the choices, the career you pursued, the, the skills you had built up in that, in that first half, really recognizing it all comes together under this purpose of, helping people reach their full performance potential so let's talk about a little bit about the future now I uh, you know from 12 geniuses you had mentioned one of the things you're focused on is what does the future look like and so for you know folks our age in, in 50s 60s maybe even beyond um, just from what you're learning from what you're experiencing what should we be thinking about what what well I guess first off, What's the future look like? I mean, are we talking Jetsons and Epcot Center? Are we talking about Terminator? Like, you know, just dystopian, utopian? What are your thoughts? It's to be
1: determined. It, it's honestly to be determined, and a lot of, well, the direction that we'll go in will be determined by this decade, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is uh, utopia or dystopia. We have to we have to figure out climate change. There's no doubt about that. We have to figure out uh, the surveillance society that we're living under um, and and privacy and maybe restoring uh, data ownership. Because if we don't, it will be very easy for big companies to manipulate us, for governments to manipulate us into doing things that we wouldn't normally do. So uh, with all of that said, I'm very optimistic about the future. I am very optimistic because we have capabilities and tools to solve all of the world's problems. There's no doubt about it. Artificial intelligence and quantum computing and biotechnology, they, they if used correctly, will solve climate change and it will remove the plastic from the, the oceans in it, and it should be able to bring us together, unify us where we are divided. I, I truly believe that. But if we choose not to use them correctly, we could go down a very, very dark, uh, disastrous path. Uh, I just feel like I, I, I feel optimistic that we will make the right choices. What's it like for somebody who's in their fifties? Yeah, uh, you know, my recommendation, and this is the reason why I started Twelve Geniuses, is be agile. And do not put your head in the sand and do not try to coast to the finish line because you're going to live a long life. If you're in your 50s, very likely you're going to make it to your 80s, 90s, maybe even 100 years old. I fully intend on living to 120. I do. And I believe that that is a very real possibility. So, you know, I'm 52. I'm not in the second half. I'm in the first half. I'm in the second third. And I think about it in that way. So what do I need to do to to stay relevant? And that's what our listeners should be thinking about is, what do I need to do to stay relevant? And and focusing on the future and understanding what the world is going to be like, I think, is a really important thing in in order to, to stay relevant and to understand what that future is going to look like. 2030 is going to be so much. We are living in the most disruptive decade probably in human history. I would say there may be three or four other decades. We can go back to the 1350s when the Black Plague was wiping out 40% of Europe and North Africa, or we could go to the, you know, 1990s when hundreds of millions of people experienced freedom for the first time or World War II or World War One. But beyond those, this is going to be the most disruptive decade in human history. And it's to be determined whether that disruption is positive or negative.
0: So staying agile um, sounds good. How do we do that? What what should we be learning? Focusing on, I mean, you know, we talk about you know keeping up with technology, but that's such a, a broad broad term. Are there are there specifics that we should really just if we if we get nothing else, we need to nail kind of these couple of things.
1: Yeah. Well, the first thing is to be a continuous learner, and that's thrown about often, but there are so many opportunities like a podcast or like LinkedIn learning or YouTube. YouTube, I have discovered, is one of the greatest educational tools in human history. And, and, you know, I can go to Denmark, I can go to Australia, I can go to Iran or Egypt or any country, and people are watching and learning from YouTube. And so there is no reason why every single one of us cannot be constantly learning i think that's the most important thing but then the the other things would be do things that you don't normally do travel to a country where you don't speak the language and if you can't travel to a country where you where you don't speak the language go to a neighborhood where they speak predominantly spanish or somali here in, in minneapolis and get out of your comfort zone and 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 see what it's like I think that is one of the ways in which we can be agile. And then, I like to try to do some pretty ridiculous things to make myself uncomfortable, like taking ice baths or, <laughs> or cold showers, or, you know, doing some some ridiculous physical things to make myself uncomfortable, just to appreciate the comfort that we have and to know that I can I can be uncomfortable physically and I can be uncomfortable mentally. And, and, and that I think helps with maintaining my agility.
0: There does seem to be a, I guess, entrenchment. I, I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, you get to a point in your life where you, you can afford a little bit of comfort and it turns out that's a nice thing, you know, compared to the the discomfort of, of youth. And, and it's easy to get out of that habit, isn't it? Of, of pushing yourself, of trying to find something different, you know. For most of us, there's a period in our life where life throws enough our way to keep us <laughs> pushing our comfort zone. But then you often we do get to a point where uh, we can kind of coast, and and so so I, I, I appreciate the thoughts around just deliberately choosing things to do that are that that are different that that shakes that up for us. Um, and, and I agree with you about YouTube. Now you know that those who comment YouTube get a lot of flack because some of the comments are. Um, not, not the highest point, a, a few men on elect, but uh, the videos themselves and, and and some of them are great, but um, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I think of it almost like, you know, um, Gutenberg and the printing press, you know, just kind of in the terms of being able to disseminate useful information on a big scale. I mean, I was using it last night working on my car, like just It it took, you know, a 30-second search to find something that made the job infinitely easier just watching someone else go through the process.
1: Yes, it's it's Um, remarkable. And I think there needs to be a distinction between education and learning because education, I think, is the foundational piece that allows us to be lifetime learners, and YouTube is is a great learning tool. It's not a great educational tool. It's not going to give you that foundation. But you're right. I mean, working on your car, fixing the furnace, learning a language, there, it's out there if you want it. And and it's a remarkable tool. And there's a lot of not so great stuff too. And but you know with the right search criteria, you can get to what you want pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I replaced a screen on, on a. smartphone a couple years ago i mean with a video like it that just blows my mind that you know that that's even possible and and, you know that and then of course you know we 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 grew up with like if you if you're lucky you had a set of encyclopedias in the house you know which um great for knowledge doesn't really tell you how to do practical stuff well the way just a quick search on videos can do all right so that's you know technologies that we should be thinking about. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I had someone say to me the other day and they were in the tech field, like, you know, they're 50, they're just you know, too old to learn new stuff in the field. Like they had just like given up on their life at 50 and it was painful to listen to. I've caught myself saying those words myself, you know, I'm too old. And yet, as you point out, you know, at 50, you better not be too old. Cause Chances are you, you've got a lot more old to go through before you're, you're, you're done. Um, so why is it that you're, you're thinking 120 is a reasonable age?
1: Well, I think it's it's completely achievable based on how I've lived my life and based on what I feel the technology or where the technology will go. So if we can print organs, um, you know, what's what's to prevent us from replacing all of our organs? with our own tissue you know part of the part of organ transplant part of the detraction between uh, for organ transplant is rejection well if you were able to print a new liver or a new kidney or a new heart with your own tissue that's pretty remarkable that technology will be available i don't know when it's going to be available maybe 2030 2040 2050 but that's within my lifetime i'll i'll make it to 2050 i believe i hope so, you know, I just see where, and I've been very fortunate to live a pretty clean life and be pretty healthy, some aches and pains like most people, but I just feel like that, that it is a, a real possibility with where the technology is going, particularly that, that biotechnology. And then if we can now, I, I had a guest on my show, Dr. Stephen Alstead from the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and, and he talked about the first 150-year-old person is alive today. Uh, they, they were born 20 years ago, back in 2000, and he he believes that average life expectancy will be 100. And he says, we're really good at extending lo- longevity or, or life expectancy, but we're not so great at improving quality of life. But we're pretty close to solving Alzheimer's and Mm. having a cure cure for Alzheimer's. Now, again, when I say pretty close, 10, 20 years. So, you know, the outlook for being alive is very positive. Uh, We do have to fix some pretty existential, some pretty big existential threats to humanity, like global warming. But again, I think that is all possible. So that's where I arrived at 120. I figured, you know, Beyond that, I, I'm being a little selfish.
0: <laughs> well, you know, D- Dana Carvey, years and years ago, ha- had two jokes. He had gone through, I think, a medical crisis when he was fairly young. And, and you know, he 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 came out of it saying, you know, harassing someone who is 55 and calling themselves midlife. He's like, dude, no one goes 110. <laughs> <laughs> and then his follow up to that was, you know, he learned that you need to take care of yourself because medical science will not let you die. So, you know, I, and I find that thought interesting because when you talk about the quality of life, yeah, medical science is going to keep us going maybe even longer than, than we're prepared to go. So, and I know, you know, I'm a medical doctor, so we're not giving medical advice, but you know, what's your approach to staying kind of fit, healthy, aiming for that next 70 years?
1: Well, it's, it's really, the motivation is my children, No doubt about it. And I, and I think about that from time to time, we have had some death in our family and I know people who have lost parents early on. And, and I think about how devastating that would be. And so, you know, I want to stay alive and, and be able to run around with my kids. and That's the motivation. And so, you know, I do diet and and exercise as much as I can. And, um, and and I think it's really important to keep your mind active as well. And that's where I get back to that agility that I was talking about before is you know, one of my mentors said it's, you know, it's great to be in a groove. Make sure that groove doesn't turn into a rut, because the rut you can't get out of. And uh, and so mixing things up and doing different things, traveling—those are all things that I feel keep me young, keep me healthy, and uh, in, along with you know smart diet and, and exercise as well.
0: You know, when I just said that, uh, what's going to keep you going for the next seventy years? That caught me off guard. It actually kind of blew my mind a little bit. It's like that's a lifetime beyond the lifetime we've already lived and being able to think about, yeah, we could go another 70 years.
1: Well, just to throw some stats at you, there've been about 110 billion people who have ever lived and the average life expectancy is around 18. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is infant mortality or child mortality, right? That, yeah. that brings it down and then wars and and things like that. And But even around the turn of the century, life expectancy in the US was just 54. And it's approaching 80 right now. And you can see people living in their 80s who never took care of themselves. And that's now. So I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say, hey, you never smoked, you are a moderate drinker, or you don't drink at all. You exercise, you eat well, you keep your mind active. 90, 100, that's that's pretty easy. And I, I'm i very encouraged when I go to see my parents down in Arizona. They're in their mid to late 70s now, approaching late 70s, playing tennis every day. Some of the people they're playing with are in their 80s. There are people even in their 90s playing tennis. Again, that's a generation that didn't necessarily take good care of themselves, didn't eat right, didn't necessarily exercise, probably had a lot of stress at work, way more stress than. I have or had and so it's possible I think we are going to we're going to push boundaries that we never thought was possible
0: yeah I mean that that's wild because even you know when I was a kid uh you know now obviously perspective when you're a kid is a little bit different but 70 was old like physically and mentally old <laughs> those those they weren't the ones out playing tennis, um, you know, like, like you mentioned. And it, so not just like, yeah, when you're seven, everyone's old, but that they weren't, they weren't thriving. They weren't vibrant.
1: Um, Think about too, you're involved in work and and you've studied the workplace considerably. Our jobs are way easier. I grew up in a mining community. Mm. My grandfather, my grandfathers, two of my grandfathers, I have four because a divorce, uh, my parents divorced early in, in my life. And so four parents, four sets of grandparents, but two of my grandfathers worked in mines. Their bodies were destroyed. Hmm. You know, that, that's not a friendly way to, to go to work. We're sitting behind computers. We're talking to people. We're using our minds. So our bodies just are, are far better preserved than, you know, Theirs were, and and my stepdad worked in a mine. He's fortunately very agile, a very nimble guy. Can still run, can still play tennis. But you know, a lot of people, particularly men, didn't work in the safest working conditions. You know, it was it was brutal on their bodies.
0: Definitely, and yeah, it's just such a changing world, isn't it? I mean, I, I think of a lot of those people that that we see that you know do make it to old age that. Smoke and drink and all of that, you know. I always think, yeah, a lot of them came of age before antibiotics. And I always kind of think that's just kind of a survivorship thing, you know, they, if they're tough enough to make it <laughs> to adulthood, survive all the diseases um, without modern medicine behind them, yeah, they probably just had a really good set of genes and some good luck in their lives. And I, I, I guess now we've. We, we've got the, the advances where we don't have to count on the, the luck of good genes anymore that we can build from, you know, wherever we're at. And yeah, we're probably not going to hit old age with, with worn out bodies and just uh, just trying to, you know, working till death and, and trying to wind it down that way. So I don't, know. I guess, you know, my mind's kind of wandering here and I don't have a specific question as I'm just kind of thinking through, that is such a a different place, a a different world to think, okay, if I'm 50 now planning, not for, you know, the next 20 years, that's kind of the amount of time I can think ahead, but yeah. How would I plan for the next 50 years? How how would I plan for the next 60, 70 years that changes things versus like, what do I need to do to make it the next five?
1: Yeah. I, I, I can't really think, think of past 20 years, to be honest with you. I just know that. I'll, I will very likely want more than 20 years. I, I can assure you of that. And again, it's because I have this young family and I wanna see who they turn out to be. That's my focus. So, you know, that's why I go to work. It's, you know, it's, I, I'm trying to help them with their development and I would love to see what they turn out to be as adults.
0: Well, you work a lot with with youth, with with younger folks and helping them. Um, But what's your take? Because you've also been involved heavily in workplace research. So just from your experience, your observations, where do people tend to get in their own way? Particularly people, you know, kind of once they hit that second half of life, you know, when you're thinking about how do you help them hit their potential? What are some of the barriers that we often put up?
1: Let's say there are two things in my experience. One is a failure to have financial competence. So I'm talking about young adults, not necessarily young people. But one of the things that I do talk about when I'm talking to young people, people in college or just leaving college is please start a freedom fund. And what I mean by a freedom fund, it's, it's what I call it. It's a, one year set aside, one year of your salary set aside so you can walk away from any job for any reason. If you don't like it, if it's not fulfilling for you, have this safety and security so you can walk away. Pay yourself first. So a lot of people think that, oh, now I'm working, now I deserve a car, now I deserve a nice apartment, some of these really nice things to have without really putting themselves in a position to to be able to walk or to have established freedom. So that's the first thing. The other thing is learning how to be happy. I didn't learn how to be happy until I was 30 years old. I didn't know that this was within my control and that happiness was a choice. And if you read any positive psychology, you'll probably run across this, about half of our happiness is determined based on genetics. So some of us lose the genetic lottery, some of us are just gonna have a chemical imbalance or are just gonna be more uh, prone to depression. But for the rest of us, and I'm fortunate to to categorize myself into that, for the rest of us, the remaining 50% is divided between intentional activity and circumstances. Now, a lot of people will say it's circumstances that, that dictate happiness, that's wrong your intentional activity the choices you make are four times stronger than your circumstances <clears throat> i didn't realize that and so just one thing that i i say to my girls every day when i'm dropping them off at school is are you going to have a good day or a great day that's their choice they don't have another choice if they can't based on where we live and the the life that we've set up if they can't choose between good and great If they're choosing between good and bad, I've done something wrong. They're doing something wrong. So they only get that choice. And I'm trying to help them establish this mindset that your happiness is your choice. That, I think, is one of the ways in which people get in the way of themselves. So that, you know, you establish financial freedom and you realize that you are primarily responsible for your happiness based on your activity. Am I going to sit here for three hours and watch Netflix? Or am I going to go out for a walk and enjoy the sunshine or enjoy the lake or whatever? That's an intentional activity. What choices do you make? Food choices, exercise choices, relationships, all of those things. Happiness is within our control. And and the earlier we can teach that to people, the the better lives they're going to have.
0: Well, I love that. And that applies, like, yes, absolutely great to teach it to people when they're young, but we can pick that up at any time. Like, that's one of those things that, you know, it's just not too late to reframe our world to, am I going to have a good day or a great day?
1: I was so disappointed that I had to wait till 30. (laughs) I thought, I really thought it was circumstances. And then I did some reading and I, I met a mentor and, you know, he talked a lot about that. And I was like, oh, wow, you're right. I I do have a lot of control over this. So then the light bulb went off for me and, and that was it. And even now it doesn't mean I'm happy all the time, but when I catch myself in a foul mood or, you know, just my thinking thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking, I realize, Oh yeah, I can control what I think. (laughs) I can change this if I want to. That's power.
0: And that's a good call out that, you know, we're probably not going to be happy hundred percent of the time and you know, um, you know, don't don't beat up, beat yourself up. feeling like you have to be a hundred percent happy all the time. I, I think people often like isolate like an all or nothing. like if I can't do it all the time, I must be doing something wrong. So much more powerful to just be able to step back and go, I've got control over this. and if I start to slip, I can catch myself. I can reframe things. I can that there's so much that that I can do and and I think, I think we give a lot of that power away. We get focused on all the things that we can't control and forget about even some of those simple choices like, hey, is this going to be a good day or a great day? I, and sorry, I love that question. <laughs> uh, I, got,
1: I got it from a, an old basketball coach guy by the name of George Raveling. I heard a podcast he was on. He's in his 80s and he coached at Iowa and USC and I think um, somewhere out in Washington, Washington State, maybe. It's an African-American guy. He was on stage when Martin Luther King delivered the I Have a Dream speech, he actually has the notes. Dr. King oh, wow. gave him the notes. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. But he was being interviewed and he, he was like, well, what's the secret to life or something like that? And he says, if I haven't figured out the secret to life by now, in my, in my 80s. He says, I, I wake up every day and I choose to have a good day or a great day. I was like, wow, that, that blew my mind. But I even look back to Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's book, And he said in the book, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the freedom to choose one's own way in any given circumstances, the, the, the freedom to choose one's own way. This is a guy who survived the concentration camp. And he's saying, I choose, you know, my attitude, regardless of the circumstances. This guy is telling me that. He survived the concentration camp. I woke up in a warm bed this morning with somebody I love with two wonderful children running around. I have no excuse but to have a good or great day. And I choose a great day almost every day.
0: It's so hard to come back with like, yeah, but he doesn't have my life, right? You know, because you're, you're right. Like there's nothing that compares to what he went through compared to what we go through. And yeah, it's just such a perspective changer. Absolutely. Well, what haven't we covered here? We've covered a lot of ground here, and like we talked about purpose, we talked about uh, potential, where we get in our own way. It gave this, um, you know, great great advice around being agile, um, thinking about living to one hundred and twenty. And I like that because it even just changes the the framing of the question. Like, how do I prepare myself for life becomes very different if I'm thinking. The scale to 120 versus the scale to 60, 70, 80, and being a continuous learner, what what we miss? What haven't we covered yet here, Don?
1: You know, the other thing, the only other thing I had in my notes as I was preparing for this is uh, the concept of hate, and hmm. something really remarkable happened to me right around the time I turned 50, and that was all hate left my body, and I don't know why. I don't know why this happened. Uh, I was leaving corporate America and just starting 12 Geniuses again. My second daughter was born. Um, I was exploring things w- through 12 Geniuses. So I, I just was questioning a lot of things, w- really wanting to learn again. And it was almost physical. I, I felt hate leaving me. And so I don't get outraged when I see f- people doing things that I don't agree with, or posting things on social media, or I never, never get outraged over that. And you know, probably the answer to it is I'm just questioning everything and, and approaching everything with an open mind. And and you know, one of the things that blew my mind recently is that two of my guests on the 12 Geniuses podcast said we'll be on Mars this decade. A, a human being will not be on Mars. In this decade, and I thought that's something that will never happen in my lifetime. And so, as I was having these conversations with these geniuses, my I, my mind started to open up to to possibilities like like a 120 year life. And so now, when I meet somebody who I generally wouldn't like in the past, I, I really want to understand them. And it's so liberating to have a hate-free life. It's uh, it's it's remarkable to me. And, um, and and it's allowed me to meet people and have conversations that I never would have had in the past. And, and I think this is, and I bring that up because I think this is so important because we are a divided country. We, you know, if I'm on the left, it's very difficult for for me to have a conversation with somebody on the right or from on the right. It's very difficult for me to have a conversation on the left because I'm going to judge them. And, but now I really want to just understand how they got to where they are and accept them for the, who they are, not try to change their mind, just show them some love and, uh, and, and try to understand them a little better.
0: It really raises the question of, you know, what's the point of hate? Like what's the, What's the purpose? Why do we get caught up in it? And I, I know I'm going kind of bigger philosophical questions. I mean, I, I get that on some level it's a survival mechanism, perhaps. But in modern life, th- there does seem to be just a lot of angst and anger and hatred aimed w- without much reason behind it. And 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 maybe hate is anger without reason. I, I, I I, I don't know. It just, like, it sounds like so much effort. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. And now it, it, it is. And, you know, the, the mentor I had mentioned earlier, he also taught me we forgive people not for the other person, but for ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? When somebody wrongs you, cuts you off in traffic, and you get upset over that person, they don't know. You know, if somebody insulted you or said something off, you know, at a a party and they insulted you, uh, they're probably not obsessing over it. So you forgive them and, and you actually benefit from it. That is, I mean, that, that's a wise move. (laughs) So if you can do that, you know, you're, you're really in a good place.
0: Well, if you just think about like all the time people spend riled up trying to channel that, this anger and, and, and emotion that doesn't change anything, doesn't change the other person, the other person may not even know, doesn't affect them. It, it just feels like such a a waste on so many levels. Like not not, not only is it not changing anything, but the, the person who, who's angry is not growing, developing, doing something productive with their day. <laughs> um, it, it just... So, so much misplaced energy perhaps it's just like like when we talk about you know loss of work potential whatever when people are disengaged i mean hate and anger that that's so much more than disengagement and it just seems like wow we could all be so much more productive if, <laughs> if we could just you know <laughs> stop stewing cuz i i think it hate's one of those emotions that feeds itself
1: yeah, and that's that's why emotional intelligence is going to be a superpower. It's going to be a superpower among our companies and among our employees. And if you can harness your emotions, manage your emotions, control your emotions, uh, be authentic with people, you're gonna you're gonna do all right in this world.
0: I think that's a fantastic place to end it right there. You're gonna do all right in this world. We'll wrap up there because. That's a lot. Um, And and that's awesome. And and so I'm kind of stumbling over my words here, Don, because you've got me thinking so much at the end of this conversation here. And I love that. We've been talking about, you know, podcast, 12 Geniuses. Clearly, people should go listen to it um, because you're you're having big conversations with super smart people.
1: Where can they find it? 12geniuses.com. The number one, the number two. So. Just use the number symbols and go to 12geniuses.com.
0: Excellent. So, and you just launched your, your fourth season, was it?
1: That's correct. We are focusing on the future. We've done the future of healthcare, education, and climate change. And then in a couple of weeks, we will release the future of artificial intelligence. And that's a fascinating conversation. Yeah. They're yeah. all really interesting really really bright people it's it's i'm just humbled to be able to talk to these people and try to try to keep up with them